And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs, of many pigs, was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Uh, thanks again for reading the passage. Uh, do keep your Bibles open and hand out there for you to follow along. Well, we see the question that we have for us uh, today that we're considering. It's a question of monumental importance. Um, what sort of man is Jesus? Uh, what sort of man is Jesus? See, over the past few weeks, as we've been in our series in Matthew, we've been saying that it's undeniable that no one in history has ever impacted a history like the person of Jesus. Think about uh, Western morals, how much has been impacted by this person of Jesus, but also our calendar, how we count the years. But at the same time, uh, there's lots of ignorance about who he is. I suggest if you go back to the office and you ask people what they think, uh, you have a variety of opinions. Uh, perhaps he's someone who's made up, someone who is irrelevant, nothing more than a curse word. Or he might be a wise teacher, an influential figure, or just another man. And even in the room here today, um, there will be a variety of views about who the person of Jesus is. Uh, what sort of man do you think he is? Uh, maybe you might not call yourself a follower of Jesus today. Uh, what is your opinion? Where have you got it from? Or even if you call yourself a committed follower of Jesus, what, what sort of man is he? You know, there's Christian jargon that often is thrown around. He's God, the Son of God, He's King, He's Saviour, He's Redeemer. But what do we mean when we say that? Or what sort of man is He? See, I think our passage today gives us real clarity about who He is. And it's something that I, um, rightly or wrongly, only come to, came to real clarity myself a few months ago. And I wonder whether you start to realise that this question it's really, really significant because it matters for your own personal walk. See, last week, if you were with us, uh, we said that following Jesus is a real challenge. Uh, there's a cost to following him, giving up your comforts in life and leaving the world behind. And so as you leave the world behind, it is imperative that you know exactly the person you follow. But it also matters in your speech. Uh, go back to your office and someone asks you, who really is Jesus? What are you going to say to him? 
Um, if you don't know him clearly, uh, you cannot speak about him. And speaking about who Jesus is, what really is the main outbox of the section in Matthew that we're in today. So for our series, we're going through Matthew 8 to 9, but flip the page to Matthew chapter 10 and see where this whole section lands. Chapter 10, verse 1, he calls to him 12 disciples. And then in verse 5, he sends the 12 out. So the outbox of chapters 8 to 9 is sending people out, 12 people to speak about him, out into the harvest to witness about him. And so if you like chapters 5 to 7 or 8 to 9, it's building a portrait of who Jesus is so that when people are sent out, they can know how to speak to him. And in our passage today, in um, and the passage that we had read first, is the key turning point in chapters 8 to 9, where we get a clear explanation of his identity. And also we start to see how people start to respond to him. Because in the next few weeks, we'll see the response to him to be progressively worse. And so the way that Matthew helps us to understand his identity, um, it's all about the sea. It is all about the sea. I noticed the first episode is on the sea as they, him and his disciples, they cross the sea to the other side. But notice as well in the second example, um, it's also by the sea. As the, tw- as the, the herds of pigs, they fall into the sea. But the problem with, uh, I think, um, our British mentalities, as we hear the word sea, uh, what pictures come to mind are happy pictures. We think about summertime, uh, lying by the sea. Uh, you might be on your inflatable lilo uh, with ice cream in hand, or if you're on your diet, you're drinking your slimline GNT. But for today, if you hear the word sea, you need to forget all of that, okay? Because sea in the Bible is a description of chaos and judgment. Think a Noah's Ark or the Red Sea. Think of raging waters, crushing waves. The sea is theologically significant in the Bible. It is a place of judgment or the place of the underworld, the portal where the underworld meets the world. So that is the geographical context that we're in today, but it's also the theological context to understand Jesus. And as Jesus, he steps into the boat, the disciples follow him. And they haul up the anchor and the boat is pushed off the harbor and sails across the chaotic waters. And then something astonishing happens at sea. And by the end of this boat journey, we see the disciples say, in verse 27, what sort of men is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So there's a question, what sort of man is Jesus? If you're following the handout, we're in our first point, a man who is the Lord. We'll look at verse 23 of our passage today. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. Uh, Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a moment. Uh, Your feet, they are soaking wet. Uh, Water is filling the boat. Uh, You see dark clouds covering the sky. The rain cutting horizontally across as the wind blows the rain. You hear waves crashing against the side of the boat and you start to taste salt water in your mouth. Big waves are crashing in. And how about Jesus? 
and stay in the middle of the boat, sleeping like a baby. At the contrast, well, it couldn't be more stark. And at some points, uh, the, the disciples, they, they say, oh, we got to wake him up. Uh, we got to wake him. And they, go to, he, um, they call him, verse 25, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And then the scene I think we're meant to imagine is as the chaos is raging, uh, Jesus there, he, he opens uh, one eye, he, he stretches and he yawns a bit. And still lying down, uh, he says, verse 26, why are you afraid of you or little faith? And only then does he stand up to take charge. And when he says, uh, when Jesus speaks, he doesn't tell them to, to build water from the boat or he doesn't tell them to unload the cargo. But he stretches out and say, wind, sit down, sea, calm down. And immediately there was great calm. There was chaos to come. And so no wonder the disciples say, what sort of man is this? So what a sort of man is, is this um, in our passage today? Well, in verse 25, the disciples, they address him as, as Lord, as save as Lord. And what does Lord mean? Well, it could mean a variety of things. It could mean a master or sir or an honorific title, like Lord, um, my Lord. But after they witness what he has just done, he has rebuked the wind and the sea. But their understanding of Lord is blown apart because the man in front of them is in the categorical difference of who they really understand. Because behind the flesh, what Matthew wants us to see, he wants to see the divine. He wants to expand our view of what they mean by Lord. See, the Lord, it is the divine name of the God of Israel. Yahweh. See, Jesus, the man, he shares in the divine name. He is the I am Lord. But not only that, he shares in the divine prerogatives or the divine actions. Um, there's a quotation for you right down there in Psalm chapter um, 86, verse 8. Uh, let me go to Psalm 86, sorry, 89. Psalm 89, verse 8. And this is what it says. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And you see what Matthew is saying, that he here is the Lord, not just master, not just sir, but the Lord himself. And so what sort of man is he? Well, he is the man who is the Lord, God himself. I think this is helpful for those who call ourselves Christians. Uh, do you know what you mean when you say Jesus is Lord? Well, it's not just a title, my Lord. It's not just my master or not even king. What you are saying is that he is the Lord. He shares in the divine name, God's personal name. He is the creator of the universe with his word. And when he speaks a word, nature, chaos, listens. See, he's a man who is the Lord. But again, there's more to see in our passage because there's more going on. Uh, the roar of the wind it comes down, the sea comes down, and you feel a gentle bump as the boat hits the other side of the sea. You're in the country of the Gadarenes. It's Gentile land. But as one calamity ends, 
another calamity starts because you hear another roar. At this time, the roar is not of winds, but a strange growl. And the smell that you smell is not of the sea, but of rotting flesh. And what you see are not towering waves, but two men, maybe less than men, because these are demon-possessed men. I look at verse 28. And when they came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And then you say, hold on a minute. Uh, our Western sensibilities kick in. We snap out the story because we say demons, they don't exist. It can't happen. Well, to that, um, it might say, I might say it's a bit of Western snobbery uh, because it's not uncommon, especially in more Eastern animistic contexts, that demon possessions, well, they do happen. Uh, not all of, it's, all of it is legit, but some definitely are. But also evil can rear its head in very subtle ways. At the case in point, think about Judas. As Satan enters Judas, what does Judas do? Well, he betrays his friend. He enters into a dodgy financial contract in order to line his pockets. It's much more subtle, but far more demonic. And so the surprise in our passage is not so much that demons exist, but what they say. Now, what sort of man is this? Look at what the demons say in verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? That's our second point today, a man who is the Son of God. Again, we ask, what does the Son of God mean? Now, what are the options? Uh, it could mean that uh, it's a title, there's an anti-imperialistic title. Uh, back in the first century, uh, Caesar would call himself the Son of God. And so when a demon's called Jesus, it's ascribing him that divine role and not Caesar. Or it could mean king. Uh, some of you know Psalms 2. Uh, the king is called the Son of God. Or it could mean a new Adam. Adam was called God's son back in Genesis 4. Or it could be Christian jargon for us to use. Now, is that what the demons mean? Well, perhaps yes, but far, far more. Look at verse 29 again. What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? At the time there, what does it refer to? It refers to the final judgment when Satan and evil is judged, where it's tormented. And so the demons recognize that it is Jesus who will execute that judgment. And that supersedes what any human would do. Well, what does that judgment look like? Well, instead of raging demons striking terror at people, they are now stricken with terror. Instead of demon-possessed demon men storming around, they are kneeling down. Instead of roaring, they are whimpering. Look at verse 31. And the demons backed him, saying to him, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And so the one word, uh, the same word which the centurion would say to his soldiers, Go. By uh, Jesus, he says to the demons, Go. And you hear their whimpering turning to squealing as the pigs fall off the cliff. Verse 32. And so he said to them, go. And so they came out, went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the waters. And so do you see the point that Matthew is trying to prove here? 
that Jesus, the sort of man he is, is more than just a man. What does he mean by son of God? Well, I think he means the divine son, the second person of the Trinity, the one to whom the father has given all authority, the eschatological judge, the final judge, the one who will judge the living and the dead. And he has proved that by sending the demons back to the underworld. And so again, if you call yourself Christian, do you know what you mean when you say Jesus is the son of God? It is not just an anti-imperialistic statement. It's not just Christian jargon. It's not just king. It's not just a new Adam figure. What you mean is that he is the divine son, the second person of the Trinity. He's there from the beginning. Uh, the judgment that he would enact, it's not a localized judgment, but all around the world. The judgment not just on the seen, but also on the unseen. And so this is the man uh, that Matthew, Matthew is trying to show us. Uh, he is the Lord, who is also the Son of God. He's the unique man that changed the course of history, uh, but he's also God, also fully divine, the Lord himself, and the eternal Son, sent by the Father to save the world. Uh, that is the kind of man that Jesus is. And so maybe you might not call yourself a follower of Jesus today. And the best things that we often recommend people to do is to read Matthew's gospel. But can I encourage you to read it in a way um, that is with real awareness that this man could be the Lord. There's an attitude of reading through the gospels that is cynical, asking questions. And it's not saying that you cannot ask questions, but the person that you're inquiring could be God himself. And so the right way to read is a real sense of openness. But then it's also helpful for those of us who will go back to the office to speak of him. And there's a way of speaking about him as if we need to defend him, as if, as if he needs us to defend him. The thing we need to realize is that we need to gain a real understanding of who he is so that we can be bold to speak. And so we need to speak that we believe he really is the Lord of all. A couple more applications as we think about this before we head back to the office. Uh, don't be surprised how society responds to the sun. I look at verse 33 in our passage. The herdsmen, they fled. Going to the city, they told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. And do you see the surprise? They backed Jesus. It's the same word to describe what the demons did when they met Jesus. And why did they do so? Well, I suspect it was because of the economic loss for them was too much to bear. And that's what happens when people encounter the Son of God. And initially, I was thinking maybe this is a, it's an application for Christians, you know, as we, we think we need to be willing to experience financial loss as we come to know the Son. But you notice in the second episode, the disciples are not mentioned at all. Um, who is mentioned is um, society, uh, the people of the village. And perhaps this is a lesson for us as we understand how people, the outside world, will react uh, to the sun. Uh, so maybe you've tried speaking about him uh, to your office, to your friends. So don't be surprised when people are not interested. Not because they don't think it's true, but because it might cost them financially and their personal comfort. And many will not be willing 
to bear the cost. So don't be surprised as to how society uh, respond. But maybe the big thing for us to take away today is to not fear, to not be afraid. You see, the understanding that we're talking about this lunchtime is not academic. It can sound a bit academic, but the outbox is not academic. Look at verse 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? You see, for those of us who call ourselves Christians today, we need to recalibrate our understanding of Jesus, our personal confession, that when we say Jesus is Lord, what we mean that we say that is that he is the divine Lord, the second person of the Trinity. And this would do us real personal good. You see, the call to follow him is not easy. There's a real cost. It will cost us our comfort. It will cost leaving this world. And following Jesus in this passage, well, it looks like it looks like death. But if you know who you confess, if you know who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, the divine Lord, and he's the eternal son, well, following him will make it much easier. So when it feels like death, remember who you follow, the sort of man he is, not just any man, but the Lord himself. So hear the warning of Jesus and the encouragement of Jesus today. Do not be afraid, or you or little faith. When I pray, and we'll spend some time chatting through this in our groups. Father, we give thanks for your clear word today about who the Lord Jesus is. We pray for many of us who may already know him. We pray for real growing clarity about who he is, that he is the Lord and is your son. And we pray that truth will give us real encouragement um, to keep going. And as we head back to the office, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.